of John. And as we look at the signs of John, the whole point of, the, of his signs are to demonstrate that Christ is Lord. And so how appropriate um, that song. Because Jesus Christ is Lord. And as we were discussing this morning, even people think that Jesus Christ was a good prophet. He was a good man. He was a good teacher. If you think of people who've influenced your life, maybe it was your dad, maybe it was a, um, a pastor, maybe it was a teacher. And I can think of different individuals who have influenced my life. And you, we hold them to high regard. But Jesus Christ was more than a teacher. He was more than a good man. He was the perfect son of God. And he could do things that no other man or prophet could do. And so as we understand, as we look at the book of John, really the emphasis is Jesus is light to those in darkness. Now it's a time for vulnerability, but uh, how many of you when you were little were afraid of the dark? Afraid of the dark, okay? Some of you, you know, I was, we lived out in the country a little bit, afraid of like coy dogs or coyotes, you know, you hear them barking, wild dogs. It's like, I don't want to go in the backyard, you know, they're going to eat me. But um, after a while we get over that. But some of it, sometimes it never goes away, you know, if you're in complete darkness, there's a panic, there's a fearfulness that comes over us. And as we look at John chapter 9, allow me to read, I won't read the whole passage, but I would like to read some of it for us. It says, Jesus, the light of the world. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, which means teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming, then no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this not he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Then they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Then they said to the blind man again, What do you say about him because he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him, but he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked him, saying, Is your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered him and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. 
He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. Let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for the truth it gives to us. We thank you that we can read it. Lord, we thank you while in this narrative, the simplicity of it, we listen to this story, but the truth behind it, the depth. We thank you that uh, you performed miracles, that uh, you allowed us to look inside and to be able to learn about who you are. And Lord, we thank you for your compassion. We thank you that you have provided light to those in darkness. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So to give you some context, obviously it's probably occurred in or around Jerusalem. And this man who was born blind is parallel as we look at this passage to the spiritual blindness that goes on. And too often we do not think of either spiritual blindness or regular blindness as being an influence in our lives. If we think about those who have been blind, um, um, how often, I don't know if you've ever, do you know of anyone who is blind? Some of you, you know, as you understand, I knew someone, and just the limitations it causes you. Maybe um, you've ever gone bowling and, you know, there's a game that you do with infirmities and try to do things. That's a difficult task. Um, and it helps you realize uh, just the disabilities that other people have because oftentimes we take that for granted. And even the perspective uh, that you lose. There's a man flying from Seattle to San Francisco and unexpectedly the plane stopped in Sacramento along the way. The flight attendant explained that there would be a delay and if the passengers wanted to get off the aircraft, the plane would reboard in 50 minutes. Everybody got off the plane except one gentleman who was blind. The man had um, noticed him as he walked by and could tell that the gentleman was blind because of seeing eye dog lay quietly underneath the seats in front of him throughout the entire flight. He could also tell that he had flown this very flight, this route, um, commonly because a pilot approached him and calling him by name said, Bill, we're in Sacramento for almost an hour. Would you like to get off and stretch your legs? The blind man replied, no thanks, but maybe my dog would like to stretch his legs. So now picture this. All the people in the gate area came to a complete standstill when they looked up and saw the pilot walked off the plane with a seeing eye dog. And the pilot was even wearing sunglasses. You know, people would have scattered and tried to find change planes and go to different flights. Obviously, it can change our perspective. But rarely do we think about being blind. Yet here, this blind man, and during this time, at that time, and even commonly in other countries, what occurs is you can only make a living by public charity. And it would have been best to place yourself where people pass by. If you think about the homeless situation here in Arizona, you know, you want to be by where there's a steady flow of traffic. In the next uh, picture, if you go to the next slide, you see a woman, a blind beggar woman. And as we often kind of just don't look and just go by. And they, um, this individual may have been placed in the temple where there was a high traffic area where people passing by. And uh, as you understand um, the life that you live, not being able to see. And this individual, as we see even in chapter 9, verse 2, it says, as the disciples see him, says, they asked him and said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or the parents, that he was born blind? So they asked Jesus, who sinned? 
And the reason is because the prevailing question, was it the, the man who had sinned or was it his parents? Because at that time, they believed that an infirmity was caused either as because of a result of a personal sin or the sin committed by the parents that led to secondary consequences of the child. And we live in a little bit of a blame society. And what I mean by that, it's easy to blame someone else. When I worked in surgery, uh, the doctor would say, oh, you know what? Um, you need to know the ABCs of surgery. They would be teaching students. You know, the ABCs are accuse, blame, and criticize. But as we understand, that is often when we get in trouble, that's our natural response. And to understand people when you make an error or when something goes wrong, we blame because we understand guilt, the weight of guilt and sinfulness. And so who do we blame? We blame God. We blame our parents, our friends, the boss, society. But rarely do we look within ourselves and understand that it is because of ourselves. But that was natural. And so the common belief was that suffering as a result of your own your wrong actions or your parents' actions or the kids' wrong actions. So it was natural for them. Who's at fault for his blindness? Was it his parents? But yet on the other question, was it the parents or was it the man himself? And they believed at that time that you could even sin in the womb. And uh, as you think about individual responsibility or guilt, if you know a little bit about Buddhism, Buddhists believe in karma, and it's become part of our natural vernacular. You know, oh yeah, you know, you got the karma that's coming back to you. But karma is a concept encountered in several Eastern religions, and it has different meanings. So the word karma actually means action. And so as I was studying it out, and, de and action is determined by our own actions, in particular by the motives behind inter-intentional actions. So why you do things, what motivates you, what causes you to behave a certain way. For Buddhists, karma has implications beyond this life, such as bad actions um, from a previous life can follow a person into their next life and cause bad effects. Sometimes, uh, you know, we use the term, oh, bad luck, right? But Buddhism also is an agricultural illustration because the metaphor to explain if you sow good or bad, what happens? You reap good or bad. It's kind of, you know, you understand maybe you know, if you've been on a farm, oh, you know, sow good, you'll reap good. If you um, sow bad, you'll reap bad. So it's coming back to you and that cyclical response. And to understand how teachings about karma explain that our past actions affect us positively or negatively. And so the present actions will affect us in the future. What you do now will affect you in the future. So Buddhists believe that we are in control of our own eternal fate. And this is contrary to the biblical concept as we know of as being providence, which God working through earthly events. And to understand that sometimes what occurs to us isn't always a natural result of our own action. Sometimes it is, but there's events that come into our life that we think of, oh man, you know, you ever have a bad day, you know, you, you stub your toe, you wake up late, you know, your clothing's rip, you, you forget your lunch. You know, and all these things, and you get piled on at work, and uh, everyone decides to go on vacation, and then you get home, you know, and you don't even have a dog to kick, you know, not cruelty to animals, but you're like, man, this has been a terrible day, you need some outlet. But life happens, and sometimes, you know, people would say, well, it's because, you know, you stepped on an ant, or maybe because you, you were mean to your family members. But sometimes suffering, and that's what sometimes people ask, is why does it occur? But if we look at verse 3, 
Verse 3, Jesus answers them and says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. So that but, so that God's work might be revealed in him. This man who was born blind, first of all, would have been of age. And they talk about it as we read earlier. He's of age. Ask him. Some think, well, maybe because of the bar mitzvah, you know, when a person turns to become an adult. But I believe that he was older and probably um, older than 20 because in the Old Testament, that's when they took the census and counted the individuals. And uh, so according to the Torah, that's when they were counted and considered an adult. And so the difficulty of one who had been born blind for, you know, maybe up to 20 years, as you think about infirmities or, or issues that we have, and that's the, the question that the world asks. Why is there suffering? Why do these bad things happen? And the relative difficulty of a person who has been blind for 20 years. Can you imagine being blind for such a long time? Part of, a, part of it would be hard to be blind for a week, you know, the limitations, being able to drive and see. And so to relate to that. But as we... Look at why does God allow suffering in 1 Peter 4.19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. What that verse communicates is that sometimes God allows bad things to happen for a purpose. We don't always understand why. We always think that God is up there, you know, and so-and-so has been a bad um, person and so let's see what we can cause push a button and then bad things can happen to them you know they fall in the mud puddle or you know let them run out of gas huh you know we think of God in, in that sense and people think of God as being this this individual who just causes chaos or is mean or is very retributive um, retribution upon people for what they've done but it says that according to the will of God sometimes events that occur into our lives is for the benefit of others. And even here we see this was not of his own doing, his own cause, but that, what does it say? It says that God should be revealed. The works of God should be revealed in him. God divinely appointed and knew that this would occur. Did the man born blind know that for 20 years he'd be blind just because? You know, he probably thought he'd be blind for the rest of his life. And what a hard life that would occur. He would have only known suffering, infirmity, pain, and hardship. But yet, at that point in his life, that Jesus would come along and heal him. Now, the challenge is that if, if we have an impairment or an illness, or you know those who have a disability and they've lived with it for a long time, our natural response is to question God. God, why did you have this? Why did you allow this to occur? Even Paul talked about, you know, take away this thorn in the flesh from me. You know, I, it would be so much easier. I could serve you better or if you take this out of my life. But yet, as we understand, God does not always give us a solution. People are always praying for that miracle. And you can pray, but sometimes that's not necessarily the will of God in your life to have that miracle occur. And sometimes God does, you know allows it into our life for a greater purpose. And people hold out, um, hold out hope against all odds, thinking that prayers and faith can coerce God to answering this prayer, forcing him to respond in a way that we want. But God is not necessarily, he does not have to behave 
in a way that we would wish. We do not have any control on, over God. He is God. And it's important that we must view hardship, illness, cancer, and even death as an opportunity to respond to God in a honoring, God-honoring manner. Because so often we look at it just simply as a victim, as a person who it's happening to me, I don't like it. Make it happen to someone else. Then we can laugh, right? But sometimes to understand that God has a divine purpose in this, to help you to respond in a way that would honor him. And God has not changed toward us. And we must not let circumstances nor our environment dictate or affect our belief in God's character. Just because God has allowed maybe a cancer illness to occur the length of a life, even in a child, you think, why, God? You know, it's not fair. But it's not about justice. It's about honoring God with our life. And that's where it comes into this play of light and darkness. Because we, we only see the present and within a small sphere. If you were to, if you, have you ever looked under a microscope? Did you have biology? You know, most of you go through, you look under a microscope, you know, and first of all, you say, all I see is blurry in my eyelash, right? So you're looking through this microscope, and then all of a sudden, oh, finally you see, you know, what is the paramecium or a hair? Wow, look at the detail in there. The challenge is that's sometimes us. We're only looking under the microscope and only see a small portion of what is taking place. But yet God who sees the past, the present, and the future, and everything else that is going on within the cosmos, and we just see this small, narrow area, and we feel this pain in our life. But yet within all that is going on, God has a divine plan and purpose. And when we respond correctly, it fulfills that. And sometimes we get to see a greater past, sometimes we don't. As we see in verse 4, you look at verse says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming and no one can work. Well, we think, well, now we have electricity, right? We can work. But as we see the common illustration with light, but it's talking about all that would take place. Night is coming when no one can work. It refers to when Jesus is taken away from the disciples because he knew what would take place. Remember, his crucifixion is coming. And they wouldn't have him here on earth. Jesus judges the world, saves the world, and in heaven he is glorified and he is replaced on earth by the paraclete or the Holy Spirit. And throughout the book there is mention of spiritual darkness after he, um, Jesus leaves. That spiritual darkness. And even if you think about it in Revelation when, or in Thessalonians when the spirit is taken out. Each of you must understand if you know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you are Light, a reflection of that. You are a reflection of the light of Christ. And in verse 5, it says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus emphasized that he is the light of the world. If you hold your spot and just even go back to chapter 8, verse 12. You look at it and it says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of light, light of life. And he is, Jesus is the source of light. Remember, there is no source of darkness. Darkness is simply the absence of light. But boy, darkness can be dark. If you've ever, even in your life, if you think about spiritual, the depth of, of darkness in your life, maybe it's up because of sin, but also just in depression and the darkness that is so thick that it's hard to you know, see through. You can't tell what is going to take place? You know, is, is there any good going to happen because you're in such a dark place? We use that term because 
It lends toward the whole illustration of obscurity. I can't see past my own eyes. Um, if you've ever been to those caverns where you can't see your hand in front of you, that's the illustration. And those who do not know Christ are in spiritual darkness. But when we learn about Christ and to understand that he is the light, the brilliance, he emphasizes it. And um, this was written, um, John, as this is occurring, probably there is the Feast of Tabernacles. And in the Feast of Tabernacles, they would have had four large menorahs around the temple, and the, the feast is for a week. And there would have been dancing and uh, events occurring, and they would have been in the courts. And that's probably the statement when you think about, hey, Jesus is the light of the world. Those lights, even in Matthew, as you think about a city on a hill, you know, the light, you can see that because it passes and it's, it is a focal point in light and darkness. And those menorahs would have burned all night and there would have been maybe pipe playing and dancing all throughout the night and recognition of that week-long feast. And so you have that in the background, in the context of what is taking place. But Jesus is the light of the world. And if you think about light, light shines and can cause two responses, a negative response and a positive. Have you ever thought about that? A negative or a positive response. So first of all, light can cause some to turn away. Okay? So think about a bright light. Okay? You, you're watching that uh, cop show, the police officer, you know, what do they do? You know, or the interrogation in the military. They're sitting in the chair. You know, they're bound. And all of a sudden, the bright light comes on, and that's all they can see, right? You know, you can picture that. And all right, tell me where you were at this time in the interrogation. Or maybe think of it if you live in an area in the, where there's country and the wild animals. You know, and, they, and you see an animal, and they see the headlights. And we say that, that um, the deer stops because they're, they're blinded by the light. And so even we say that, oh, you look, you know, you're staring off into space. You say, people, we use that phrase, you have that deer in the headlight look. And sometimes we're just blinded by the light. There is light torture. Even I was doing some background study uh, regarding Guantanamo and others and uh, what they have is torture. There's light torture where prisoners are held under sensory deprivation. Ears and eyes are covered. Hands and feet are tied. Hands are in thick gloves so they can't feel anything. They're held in cages without privacy. Always observe uh, there is light day and night. Have you heard of the circadian rhythm? You know, it's allowing you to sleep. Sometimes in Alaska, if you go to Alaska, you know, you know it doesn't, in the summer it doesn't get light. Uh, excuse me, it doesn't get dark. You know, it just gets dim and it's light all the time. It's like, when is it time to sleep, right? Or in Alaska, if you go in there in the wintertime, then there's no light. And that's why people get depressed. We live in the valley of the sun. We like light 300 plus days. If we get a cloudy day, sometimes we look forward to it. But if you get a week of cloudy days, you're like, oh man, you know, I need to see the sun. You know, I grew up in upstate New York, you know, and cloudy and, you know, there's not much sun and you look, you look forward to any sun. But to understand it affects us. It affects our mood. Um, even, you know, they have disorders, a seasonal affective disorder. Um, and so understanding is that light can, can have a negative response on us. And as I talked about, that light torture. But also, the Pharisees were blinded by this light. So if you think about a light, the light of Christ, how it can be blinding. And uh, as I have on there, it can repel, it turn away, it can obfuscate. And the Pharisees, if you look at verse 13 through 16, their response was, first of all, 
It says, they brought him to the, him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened in his eyes. And the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. And the response says in verse 16, Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. They don't even think about the fact that a, a person who is blind, also they can see what a miracle that is. You know, that doesn't happen every day. But you know, oh, he did it on the Sabbath. He's a lawbreaker. He's, he's terrible. So that's, they were blinded by the truth. And even later it says, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? Because they didn't see who he really was. They were blinded spiritually. They were blinded by their own beliefs and their own presuppositions. And that's the hard part we have sometimes is sharing with other people about Christ or truth. Because we're, they're blinded by their own presuppositions of what they believe to be true or what they believe. There's certain, there's certain beliefs that we have to be true. Maybe you've learned it. Um, when we were in South America, there were certain uh, things that uh, people did that they believed. We call them old wives' tale. You know, oh, rub the egg outside to get all the negative energy or the bad things away from the child. You know, rub an egg, roll an egg around. You know, um, Bell's palsy, sometimes if, if, you, if you can't be, if you're warm, you can't go have something hot because that will cause an illness. Sometimes, you know, it's always, think about this one, you know, um, you don't go outside with wet hair because what will happen? You'll catch a cold. Well, technically, you know, that's not, I hate to tell you, you know, germs are going to cause you the cold. If you go outside with hair, you'll just freeze and your hair will freeze, but it won't cause you necessarily to catch a cold. But we believe that, right? As kids, there's certain beliefs that we believe. You know, if you're cold, don't go quickly to somewhere hot. And, and there are beliefs that have been traditionally part of what we have taken in as knowledge and truth. But here, those, the Pharisees believe it because of they believe that they were the authority of Scripture and of truth, spiritually. And so that is the error that they have. And so they were blinded by the truth and who Christ was. They didn't see him as God. And John emphasizes that. But not only can light repel, light can also reveal, help us see, expose. Light is a good thing. Um, it can remind us of um, spotlights. And if you go understanding, I have a picture here and I was, I was looking at, they have LEDs everywhere now. Do you remember life before LED lights? You know, oh boy, it's, it's quite the difference. But you understand that white light, the brightness, and it, it just pierces through the darkness. And I think about even the times, you know, in, in surgery, they have these spotlights where you go through because you're working in a depth of cavern. And when there's bleeding, it's hard to see down inside and around organs. And so that's why they also put a headlight. I've had, I had to wear one of those headlights once and, you know, squishes your head. But where you look, it'll focus on the spot if there's bleeding or... And, you're looking at down in the depth of an individual in the body cavity and you have to focus on that but the light allows you to see and when there's bleeding and it becomes dark and it just absorbs the light darkness absorbs the light and I, I, another illustration if you think about it when you think about light Think about if you've ever watched a movie that has a prison break or something. All of a sudden, ch -ch 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 -ch, 
you know, all the lights in the courtyard come on, and they're, oh, look, the prisoner's running, Alcatraz or something, you know, and, they're, and they have these lights that all come on, and there they are, you know, and the dogs and everything, and, and the light spotlights. They're trying to give you a focal spot, and it shows where the subject is at. And as we look at verse 30, look at verse 30 through 33. We have the man's response because this man is healed and he doesn't understand. He says maybe he's a prophet. He didn't even know who it was because he's blind. He doesn't know what he looked like. He just knows someone puts clay on my eyes, tells me to wash, and I'm healed. You know, that's great, but he doesn't know anything about him. Is he tall? Is he short? Who is he? He just knows the voice. So verse 30, the man (coughs) says here, The man answered and said to them, to um, to the Pharisees, why this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears them. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone has opened the eyes of one who has been born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The man recognizes the power of God in him. And the Pharisees answered him and said to him, You are completely born in sins, and you're teaching us, and they cast him out. What it means is they kicked him out of the synagogue. Remember, it's like almost a membership. They had the authority. You can't worship here anymore. You can't receive the blessing. You can't um, receive the offerings. You can't receive the atonement for your sins. And then Jesus, he heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? The man answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus reveals himself to to him, which is unique. And he says, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking to you. And the response is, as we think about Thomas, even, you know, understanding, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And this man comes to faith in Jesus Christ, understanding who he is. And that light, responding to the person, Jesus Christ, And Jesus, we have to understand that Jesus is a polarizing figure in our society, even historically. And while we understand Jesus did not come to condemn the world, he does cause people to either see the light or be blinded by it. He is either accepted as God or people will not believe that he is God. See, our faith is a vehicle or the means by which we place our trust in him and his works. As a Christian, as we look at This text and passage, we must learn to live in the light. And this requires a mindset that allows Jesus to expose our lives and to teach us where we need to change. There are some who won't believe in Jesus. They're blinded because they can't see past their own unbelief. But there's some who are going to see the light and question. And if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you must understand that God continues to expose and allow the light of Christ into our life. The hard part is that we are vulnerable people. We're self-conscious. You know, society tells, you know, the thing about society is that, oh, we should all be come together and come as one, but yet it takes every people group, every ethnic group, every, um, separates male and female, separates us by age, categorizes us, and tells us what's wrong with us. And if you think I'm wrong, it's like, okay, guess what? You need to buy this to look younger. You need to buy this so that your hair is different. You need to buy this, you know, you need this. And it's marketed to us. 
And the problem is that we, we, we become self-conscious. But what I want you to understand is when you're standing in the light of Christ, we are a reflection of that. And what that allows us to, is allows us to see ourselves that, sure, we aren't the best, if you will, but in Christ, you are made in the image of God. In Christ, you can become who you weren't before. You know, we understand our sin, but yet the power does not lie in ourselves. To understand that the Spirit of God can help change us and transform us. And the benefits of being in the light, not walking in darkness. 1 Thessalonians 5.5, 5, allow me to read that for you. 1 Thessalonians 5.5 5 states and says, You are all sons of light and the sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. To understand that you aren't children of darkness, so don't walk in the light. Don't, excuse me, don't walk in the darkness. Be aware of the darkness. Sometimes we still like darkness. I'm not saying, you know, you sh should be a night person, but to understand that there is the darkness of sin of areas. Don't go into those places that caused you grief and trouble before and the sins that have overtaken you. Allow the light of Christ to shine brightly in your lives or else there are those who are going to hide in the shadows of darkness. This, uh, this light is an LED light and if you've ever gone mountain biking, and I think it's one of the craziest things because at night, and I've seen pictures of people who biked at night and it's like anything can come out, animal, and all of a sudden you make the wrong turn. It's, it's hard enough in the daytime, but when you're barreling down a trail, you know, you have this limited light. And all of a sudden, boom, if you're in darkness, you're going to be in trouble. But you need that light to see what's going on in the trail. And it's the same thing with the word of God. Psalm 119, 105, as we understand the light, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And it will show you what's before you, but it also you points you to where you are going. And it'll help you. And that's why to allow the light of Christ to guide you. It is such an important part of a believer to expose you but don't be afraid to be in the light god is going to teach you and guide you and direct your paths and steps and to be in the light and as john emphasizes as we understand is that jesus is light to those in darkness so the question i would ask you is how are you living you know do you still try to be in the darkness or are you a child of the light are you concerned about you know living a life with the identity of Christ and allow him to kind of show you where to go. The man born blind did not understand it. Infirmity, he probably would have thought he was blind for the rest of his life. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and he was, Lord, I see. And I can't imagine because it wasn't just a, a gradual, it would have been overpowering blindness. I remember when he healed the others, you know, I see as trees, you know, they look like trees, men walking just figures. And this man can see Takes off, the, takes off the mud, and all of a sudden he can see. Can you imagine how joyful that would be? It's the parallel of coming to Christ, salvation, to actually see, to know that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the God of the heavens, to know that your sins are forgiven, that positionally you have a home in heaven. It's faith, that transfer of trust, understanding Jesus Christ, who he is, that he will keep that promise, that it doesn't rely in yourselves anymore. But guess what? It doesn't stop there. If you're a believer in Christ, now you grow in your walk. And guess what? There's going to be suffering and hardship. And sometimes God doesn't take that away. But God is going to help you through that process. 
And that infirmity that you're going through might be for the purpose of someone else watching you how you respond. That's not always easy to see or think about because we don't like it. But imagine God can still use you when you go through difficulty, when you're blessed, when you're in the light, the light of Christ. Let your light so shine before men that they may what? See your good works for Christ. Not to see how great you are, but the Holy Spirit transforming you. And do you know sometimes we mess up? And that's okay too, because when we mess up, be like David and, you know, turn from that sin and admit that we are sin. Agree with God. Say, you know, I messed up. And then respond in a godly manner and say, Lord, help me. I need your help. Get some help from others. And we, and we move forward. I truly believe Jesus is the light. And he will help you to live in that light as well. Shall we pray? Thank you.